in Advent, all we're waiting for is Jesus. Jesus is the one, Bonifer says, in whom all things have been drawn together, healed, transfigured, and are sustained in the joys of God. We're, we're not waiting simply on an action. We're, we're not waiting on the world to change. We're waiting on nothing but Jesus and the fullness of Jesus to become the fullness of, of our lives and the fullness of all lives. What I want to do now is shift to his treatment of the relationship between Christ and the real, which is, at the end of the day, the same as the relationship for Bonifer, the same between the relationship between the divine and the human in Christ personally, and the relationship between Christ and the spirit, as you'll see. So that Christ is the real in that the real is constituted in him in the communion of the divine and the human in his personal life. And that is because of the spirit who is the source and the guide and the goal of Christ's life. So let's begin on page 54. Listen to what he is saying about God and the world in Christ and, and the ways in which that constitutes reality as is. Christian ethics speaks otherwise of the reality that is the origin of the good. It means thereby the reality of God as the ultimate reality beyond and in all that exists. Beyond all that exists and in all that exists. It means all the world that is real only through the reality of God. The reality of God is not just another idea. Christian faith perceives this in the fact that the reality of God has revealed itself and witnessed to itself in the middle of the real world. And so this language of the middle will show up, but it, it's right at the center, no pun intended, of creation and fall, Bonifer's lectures on the doctrine of creation. And it's also important in his doctrine, in his lectures on Christology. But leave that aside for now. Those of you who are interested in reading more, read his Christology lectures, looking for that language of the middle, read are the midst and the same holds for his creation and fall lectures, which I'll talk more about. I'll mention later in this talk, and then it'll show up again um, in, in some of the following talks. So he says, Jesus, God has revealed himself and witnessed to himself in the middle of the real world. In Jesus Christ, the reality of God has entered into the reality of this world. The place where the questions about the reality of God and about the reality of the world are answered at the same time is characterized solely by the name Jesus Christ, right? So Jesus, the one we can name as Jesus, Mary's son, he is the one in which the reality of God and the reality of the world are known. God and the world are enclosed in this name, in this name, Jesus Christ. It's an astounding statement that Jesus, Mary's son, Joseph's son, Jesus the Jew, Jesus the one who was crucified by Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas and others, betrayed by Judas, that Jesus is the one in whom God and the world are enclosed. In Christ all things exist, and he references Colossians 1.17. And you'll see throughout this section, Colossians and Ephesians are the predominant texts that he references. Not the only ones, but they are they're leading the way. In, in his reflections. 
From now on, we cannot speak rightly of either God or the world without speaking of Jesus Christ. All concepts of reality that ignore Jesus Christ are abstractions. So I mentioned this last time, and it'll come up in every talk, that Bonhoeffer thinks that Christ is the real, Christ dwells in the concrete and the specific, and that abstractions are a sign of unreality, a sign of fallenness, a sign of estrangement from ourselves and from God because we've lost touch with Jesus. The, the gospel is not an abstraction. Christians do not live with abstractions. The faith is not an ideology. And, and he's going to come back to that again and again and again, pressing home the point that Christ is the real. Right? We don't talk about weakness as such. We don't talk about strength as such. We don't talk about life or death in general. We don't talk about principles. We, we don't abstract about groups of people. We talk about someone, Jesus, Jesus the Jew, Jesus the Jew who is crucified, and we talk about everyone and everything else in him. God and the world are both enclosed in the name Jesus Christ. So on page 55, he continues, In Christ, we are invited to participate in the reality of God and the reality of the world at the same time the one not without the other. The reality of God is disclosed only as it places me completely into the totality of the world. But I find the reality of the world always already born, accepted, and reconciled in the reality of God. Karl Rahner has this fascinating, and I think fundamentally right, essay on the love of God and the love of neighbor, in, in which he argues that they're inseparable. To love your neighbor is to love God. To love God is to love your neighbor. You cannot, you cannot hope for one to lead to the other. You, you can't love your neighbor. You know, love for God is not a metaphor for taking care of your neighbor. And you can't have some kind of deep passion or hunger for God, some kind of revival spirituality, some kind of um, private mysticism that somehow frees you from the responsibility to care for your neighbor and their concrete, specific needs. Bonifer insists, and Rahner insists, and I think they're both right, with all the differences between them, I think they're both right about this, that to love God is to love your neighbor, and to love your neighbor is to love God. That love of God and love of neighbor are one reality. And they're one reality because Jesus is God and neighbor. Jesus is the one to whom we pray, and he's the one we pray with. Jesus is with us, and Jesus is without us. And because that is true, because God and the world are enclosed in the name Jesus Christ, then love for God and love for neighbor are, are absolutely inseparable. One does not have priority over the other. They're, they're equal. They're joint heirs, we might say, to use the language, to use the language of Paul. Let, let me jump ahead to another section, page 261. This is the section on history and the history and good. Bonifer picks up this same notion again, that the identity of God and humanity in Jesus Christ, and says, the reason, bottom of that page, 261, the reason for this is that reality is first and last, not something impersonal, neutral, 
but the real one, namely the God who became human. Reality is first and last, not something impersonal, not a thing, not a thing that conditions God's existence and ours. Reality is not something God lives in. It's not something we live in. Reality is God, specifically Jesus Christ, God who became human. Everything that actually exists, Bonhoeffer says, receives from the real one, whose name is Jesus Christ, both its ultimate foundation and its ultimate negation, its justification and its ultimate contradiction, its ultimate yes and its ultimate no. Trying to understand reality without the real one, without Jesus, means living in an abstraction, which those who live responsibly must avoid. It means living detached from realities. Remember, I, I talked last time about that line, famous line in the letters and papers in prison, where he talks about God be consenting to being pushed out of the world onto the cross. But the world out of which God is being pushed is the world of abstraction, the world of our ideas, of our principles, the world that we've imagined for ourselves, that we've created, quote unquote, in our own image. But the real world, the world as it is in God's knowing and loving, is simply constituted and held together by Jesus, by what he has done and what it has been done to him, by who he is, by his experience, by the reality of his experience. And everything else, everything else, Bonifer insists, is abstraction. On page 263, he, he talks specifically about Jesus' own experience of the real. This then, he says, middle of that page, 263, this then leads us to the statement that action in accordance with Christ is action in accord with reality. This statement is not an ideal demand, but an assertion that springs from knowledge of reality itself. Jesus Christ does not encounter reality as someone who is foreign to it. Instead, it is he who alone bore and experienced in his own body the essence of the real, and who spoke out of knowledge of the real like no other human being on earth. He experienced in his own body the essence of the real because, because what he's experiencing is the essence of the real. It's constituting it. So he's not only undergoing it, he's giving it its own reality. This What, what Bonifer's convinced of here, and, and this is where even though he is confessedly Lutheran and goes out of his way to talk about his Protestantism. He can be critical of the Catholic tradition and even of the fathers. But here, Bonhoeffer's doctrine of God is deeply patristic. And he is holding, it, it's deeply rooted in, in the fathers and of the mothers of the church, that, that those convictions that God is infinite and eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful. That though what sometimes gets called classical accounts of God's being, Bonifer holds to these convictions and insists that nothing happens to God in a way that changes God. There's nothing that happens apart from God willing to undergo it. Nothing that happens to God apart from God willing to undergo it. And because nothing happens to God without God submitting to it and willing it, then God is not changed by what happens, right? That 
old notion shows up in the preaching of the of the church fathers here and there that when Christ is baptized, you know, the waters do not wash away his sins, but he, in fact, sanctifies the waters to wash away our sins. Right? Christ's baptism does not change him. It changes the waters of baptism. It, it constitutes the sacrament of baptism through which we are drawn into the life of God and into the people of God. So th that same truth holds for all things, right? God is not changed by the incarnation. God is not changed by creation. God is not changed by death. God is not changed by resurrection. All of these things happen to Jesus. They, he experiences them in his body. He experiences conception and birth and growth. He experiences betrayal and hunger and sleep. All, all, that, all that he undergoes, including death, all of that happens to him. He, he yields himself to the experience of it, but is, he is not undone by it or altered by it in any way. He undoes all that is false and secures all that is true. He constitutes the very nature of things through his own experience of it. And so what, what this seems to suggest, and I think this is the teaching of Maximus Confessor, I think, perhaps most clearly of all the, the early church fathers. But it's it shows itself, I think, throughout the tradition, at, not in every voice, but in many voices, that it is the life of Jesus, a life made possible by Mary's acceptance of the will of God. It is in the life of this man, Jesus, Jesus the Jew, Jesus the one who's crucified, Mary's boy, Pilate's victim. It is his life that makes reality what it is. And, and Robert Jensen, whom I've, whose work you know, I've returned to over and over and over again, he says that we we have to begin there, right? We have to begin with what happens with Jesus is the truth about God. What happens with Jesus is the truth about us and all things. And we can't have some abstraction, some kind of philosophy of reality into which we fit God and into which we fit Jesus and into which we fit Mary and the saints, and the prophets, and Israel, and our own lives. Just the opposite. Jesus is the one who makes reality real. He gives truth its truth. He gives goodness its good. He gives beauty its beauty. He gives us our being. He gives my personhood its individuality, and gives the trees their treeness, and so on. But Jesus is the one who makes the real real. And God and the world are enclosed in his name. We come back again to this opening section on Christ's reality and the good. He, Bonifer, I mean, makes it clear that the world is therefore an indivisible whole. On page 53, he says, to participate in the indivisible whole of God's reality is the meaning of the Christian question about the good. What, what, what is the good life? What is the life we're meant to live? What does it look like to live well? Well, it looks like living in the indivisible reality that Jesus has made in his own sense. The divine and human are drawn together. Time and eternity are drawn together. And all of it is sustained and reconciled. It's integrated in the life of this man, Jesus. And we are experiencing all things in that integration.
Now this this is heady heady stuff, no doubt, no doubt. So let me let me slow down a moment to reflect on some of what this might mean for Advent. I, I think first and foremost, at the risk of repeating myself, it, it's to say that in Advent we're not waiting on something. We're not waiting on some aspect of the world to change or some aspect of our lives to change. We're not waiting on God to be a better God or the world to be a better world. We are waiting for the full manifestation of Jesus Christ in our lives, right? So, so Romans 8, right? The, the creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The sons of God who are, are meant to be joint heirs with the Son of God. We are meant, as Paul will put it in Ephesians, to grow up in, we, you and I, as the body of Christ, are meant to grow up into the fullness of him so that everything that Jesus is in his person, and he is all things drawn into the fullness of God, we're meant to grow up into that. So that at the end of Ephesians 1, which is a passage Bonifer references often, we are meant to become the fullness of him who is the fullness of all, or the one we are meant to be the fullness of him who fills all things with himself. Right? So the, the, the claims of Jesus on our life are absolute, but that's because the gifts of God are endless and are truly unthinkably deep and wide and high, right? And this is why Paul will pray again in Ephesians, which is right at the front, or to shift the metaphor, it, it, it's the foundation of everything Bonifer is saying in these sections we're, we're looking at today. We are, Paul is praying for us to know what passes knowing, right? This is too much. So you, you shouldn't feel that this is, I, I, a moment ago, I, I referred to it as heady. And that that's not quite right, because it's not conceptually challenging. It's not scholarly or intellectually beyond us. It's, it, that's not the kind of depth we're experiencing here. It's the, the depth, the abyss of the goodness of God and the wonder of speaking about this one Jesus as both God and human at the same time, and the one in whom all things receive their good. Receive their good at the beginning in that they, they exist, and receive their good in the end in that they exist in, in holiness, exist in the full health and vitality that God himself enjoys. Right? So that, that is, in fact, mind-blowing, and in a sense, it's heady, but it's heady in that it is, it's mystically awesome, right? It's not heady in that it's intellectually challenging. And I think that that distinction is a, is a critical, a critical one to make. We, we don't want to talk about these things in ways that seem abstract, right? They, they should be for us. I'm struggling for the right word here. They should be, to make these claims about Jesus, should bring us to the place in which we're not sure what else to say. We're, 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 we're kind of overawed, kind of um, forced into silence by these claims. But again, only because they're utterly specific. They're a reference 
to this man, Jesus, who is born and lives and suffers and dies and is dead. So then out of this, if it's true that all of reality is kind of constituted in the communion of Christ's own life, his communion with the Father, the communion of the divine and human in him because of that communion with the Father, it's it's true, it's also true that the real is experienced by us, like we're drawn into the real out of the abstract only because of the relationship of Christ and the Spirit. So on page 50, Bonhoeffer says, says this as much, and sometimes he's accused of kind of having a weak pneumatology, a weak account of the Spirit. I don't think that's right, and it's certainly not right in ethics. Well, come back to page 49, bottom of the page, bottom of page 49. The subject matter of a Christian ethic is God's reality revealed in Christ, becoming real among God's creatures. Right? So the real is constituted in Jesus. It's transfigured in him. It's drawn up into the fullness of its own being, which is a share in the being of God. But the becoming real of that in our lives, the working out of that reality in our lives, is the work of the Spirit. That's what he will say just a few lines down. So now we're on page 50. That this relation between reality and becoming real, between past and present, between history and event, or to replace the many concepts with the simple name of the thing itself, the relation between Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. This is the aim of Christian ethics, right? In other words, our lives lived well, our lives lived in holiness, are made possible because the Spirit is drawing us into Christ and Christ is leading us into the Spirit. Christ is pouring the Spirit out on us and the Spirit is emptying Christ into us. The love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts in the language of, of Paul. So this is basic to everything else that I'm going to say in this talk, and I think basic to everything else Bonifer is saying in this book, that we, we have to understand first and foremost that we are waiting on Christ because in Christ the real becomes real. In the communion of the divine and human, in his intimacy with the Father, his being Jesus, there is... There is creation, and you and I belong there. We, we fit inside the reality made by the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. All things, in the language of Colossians, all things are made by him and through him and for him. And through him and for him are all things. Right. So that's the first thing. The second is that that can be possible for us, even though we are fallen into sin, even though we are estranged from ourselves and from God hopelessly lost, we are, it is possible for us to be, or, or possible is maybe not the right way to say it. In spite of the impossibility, God has drawn us into and is drawing us into reality because of the relationship of Christ and the Spirit. So if it's true that everything that's happening to us is happening inside the personal experience of Jesus, it's also true that everything that's happening to us is happening not only because of his relationship to the Father, 
but also because of his relationship to the Spirit. And of course, I'm not suggesting here, and Bonhoeffer's not suggesting here, anything like tritheism or even a social Trinitarianism. He's not suggesting three distinct centers of consciousness where the Son is loving the Father and the Son is loving the Spirit in the way that I love my three children differently. But he is saying something that is robustly Trinitarian, right? That in a way past our thinking, the Son is loving the Father and the Son is loving the Spirit. And that is possible because the Son is human. And and it is possible for us, well, that is possible because God is God, but it is possible for us to be drawn up into that because the Son is human. Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, suffers under Pontius Pilate, is crucified, dead, and buried. And because he has that experience, there is creation. And because he has that experience, creation can be drawn up into the life of God. So let me sit with that for just a moment. Let me encourage you to sit with it for just a moment. Again, I know I know this is is a lot, but it is it's it's what makes Bonhoeffer, I think, such such a good teacher for us, right? For those of us who've been who've been shaped by Christianities who have weak doctrine about God, if any doctrine at all, who who have, and Bonhoeffer is going to be critical of this, you'll see in a moment, who, who have been taught to think legalistically and magically and moralistically about the Christian life. We, we need to be drawn down into the depths of the wonder of the mystery of the incarnation. Right? We need to feel something of the weight, the weight of glory, the weight of the sheer unthinkable goodness of God, the, the there needs to be something wonderful, and I don't think we can even catch a glimpse or, or a faint taste of that wonder if we don't do what Bonifer is doing here, which is to turn our attention to Jesus and the mystery of what is happening in Him in ways that are doxological that lead us to you know as 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 happens to Paul. Whenever he begins to talk about the gospel, when he talks about Jesus, inevitably he's moved to praise. He's moved to, you know, God's ways are, are past finding out. The end of Romans, Ephesians, right? The God, the God who's able to do the unthinkable, the God who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. Right? And, and all of that is possible because of the mystery that is Jesus' life. And so, sorry for the pause. I think I think I will. I had I had planned to cover more, but I think I think I'll just break it into another another talk because I, I want to leave you with one more one more passage on this same theme, and, and there are so many. But let me let me turn to this. Page 74, this is the end of the Christ reality in the good chapter. And I, I think it sums up nicely the, the glories that Bonhoeffer has been praising. We said at the beginning, so the page 74, 
This is the, the last two paragraphs of the chapter. These are the, these are the last two paragraphs of the chapter. We said at the beginning that the question of the will of God must take the place of the question about one's own being good and doing good. In other words, the famous opening lines of, of ethics, in which he says, you know, the, the, the Christian question is not how can I be good or how can I do something good? The question is, what is the will of God? And now he says, he's, he's come back to that. The will of God is nothing other than the realization of the Christ reality among us and in our world. So notice that term, the Christ reality. Right? So not only is Christ not known apart from his church, as Augustine will talk about the head and the body, the whole Christ. Christ cannot be known apart from his body, the church, any more than you and I can be known apart from our bodies. But also, he cannot be known apart from reality itself, from time and space and matter, from past, present, and future. All of those things that are in Romans 8 are much of them that cannot separate us from Christ. They can't separate us from Christ because Christ is their reality. They are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So, other than the realization of the Christ reality among, among us and in our world, the will of God is therefore not an idea that demands to be realized. It is itself already reality in the self-revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Notice how he's refusing to abstract about the will of God. The will of God is neither an idea, nor is it simply identical with what exists, so that subjection to things as they are could fulfill it. It is rather re a reality that wills to become real, every ever anew in what exists and against what exists. So remember this idea when we come to it later, when we talk about questions of conscience, questions of responsibility, the ways in which Christians are meant to live in the world, that yes, reality is constituted in Jesus Christ, but reality is not the way things go in the world. The way things are happening in the world, the evils that take place, what happens in the world is not reality. That is the defiance of sin. That is the result of our abstractions. What happens in the world is something distinct from what God is doing in the world. And so he says that to live the will of God is to live in ways in which the will of God is, is breaking through in what exists and, ex and against what exists. The will of God has already been fulfilled by God in reconciling the world to himself in Christ. To disregard the reality of this fulfillment and to set a fulfillment of one's own in its place would be the most dangerous relapse into abstract thinking. Since the appearance of Christ, ethics can be concerned with only one thing, to partake in the reality of the fulfilled will of God. The ethics of Advent, the ethics of Easter, the ethics of Pentecost, all essentially come down to this. We are called to partake in the reality of the fulfilled will of God. But to partake in this is possible only because of the fact that even I myself am already included in the fulfillment of the will of God in Christ, which means that I have been reconciled to God. The question of the will of God is not asking about something hidden or unfulfilled, but about what has been revealed and fulfilled. It remains, however, a genuine question insofar as I myself, together with the world around me, am placed into this question by the answer given by the revelation and fulfillment. The will of God, as it was revealed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, embraces the whole of reality. There is access to this wholeness without being torn apart by manifold influences, only through faith in Jesus Christ, in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, 
through whom everything is reconciled, whether on earth or in heaven, whose body, that is the church community, is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. So he piles up references from Colossians and Ephesians. Faith in this Jesus Christ is the single source of all good. And so, last word for this talk. This is what we're waiting for in Advent. Not only Jesus Christ and in whom we're, Jesus Christ and in him all things. We're waiting for the Spirit to move us to the middle of Christ, to the one who is holding all things together and in his intimacy with the Father is giving all things their good. In Advent, we are waiting to be caught up into the triune life, waiting to have the same relationship to the Father that Jesus does, thanks to the Spirit. And so next time, I want to shift to talking about the problem that Bonhoeffer sees with thinking about the church and the world as realms and the Christian life as somehow balanced or divided by its allegiances to these two realms. So if you want to to read this chapter again and jump ahead to the sections on history and good, I'll come to those next time.